Small Business Commission meeting on January 22nd, 2024. The meeting is being called to order at 4.34 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall Room 400 and broadcast live on SFGov TV. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov TV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGov TV 2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation in person during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. There will be special accommodation for individuals who cannot attend in person due to disability. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker. An alarm will sound once the time has finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. Before item one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGov TV for helping to run today's meeting. Please call item one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Benitez. Present. Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Herbert is absent. President Huey. Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena is absent. And Vice President Zuzunas. Present. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business Staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item number two. Item two, San Francisco, San Francisco Municipal Transportation Authority, SFMTA briefing. This is a discussion item. SFMTA Director Jeffrey Tumlin will provide an overview of upcoming projects that will likely impact the small business community and discuss current and future communication strategies. Welcome, Director Tumlin. Thank you very much. Uh, greetings, Commissioners. My name is Jeffrey Tumlin. I'm the Executive Director of the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, and I'm very happy to be here. Uh, this is now my second appearance at the Small Business Commission, and it remains my favorite commission to attend, uh, in part in part because uh, in part because you run small businesses and therefore understand the nature of being scrappy and having to make trade-offs and hard choices and be creative about how to use limited resources um, in order to achieve success. Um, so I have a pretty dense presentation. I'm going to go through it very quickly. This is meant to really be a teaser for all of you. Um, we are eager to hear your advice about how we can better hear from small business owners um, and use our limited resources in order to help foster small business success um, in San Francisco. So my, uh, my presentation will cover a couple of topics. Um, we're going to talk just a little bit about a little bit about SFMTA priorities. You'd asked about um, what we're calling our active communities plan. 
Uh, talk a little bit about how we engage with small businesses, how we mitigate construction impacts, how we coordinate with other city agencies. Um, we'll talk a little bit about parking and a very, very tiny amount about our financial um, outlook. Um, so let's talk about priorities. Um, uh, the transport sector here in San Francisco is the city's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. We're one of the greatest sources of injury and death. 30 people die and thousands are injured unnecessarily every year as a result of traffic crashes. Um, we're also an avenue to opportunity. Um, transportation is how kids get to school, how people get to work, how people find new opportunities. Um, and we're a critical agent in supporting San Francisco's overall economy, um, especially our small businesses. And so in order to do that, we focus on, number one, making Muni fast, frequent, reliable, clean, and safe. Um, we focus on making the entire transportation system uh, safe, particularly for people walking um, and biking. Um, we try to make sure that traffic flows smoothly, um, and that includes dealing with, for example, a huge increase in the demand for curbside pickup and drop-off just over the last couple of years, a necessary element in supporting small businesses, but also an impediment um, to allowing uh, traffic to flow smoothly. Um, and of course, we also have a key role in supporting this unique time in San Francisco history um, as we recover from the economic impacts um, of COVID. Um, every commercial district in San Francisco is there literally because of Muni's 110-year history. Um, San Francisco commercial districts are long and skinny because they follow former Muni train tracks. Um, Muni itself is utterly dependent upon small business success. Um, a, uh, the largest source of our current revenue um, comes from local taxes, which are largely driven by small business success. And the other portions of our revenue come from Muni fares and parking fees, much of which is driven by commerce associated with small businesses. Small business and the SFMTA are inextricably linked. Neither of us can thrive without the other also thriving. And it's why uh, it's been a big focus of our work, particularly over the last couple of years. Um, over the last four years, we focused a lot on making Muni uh, more reliable, faster, and more frequent. We've added 25 miles of transit-only lanes and about uh, nearly 100 miles of transit priority improvements that have made Muni more reliable, uh, faster and in many corridors more frequent than it has been in our, uh, at least the history that we have data for. Um, the result of that is even though our downtown ridership is still about 50% of where it was pre-COVID, our overall ridership is now over 70%. And on our neighborhood lines, like the 22 Fillmore or the 49 Van S, those lines are over 130% of pre-COVID ridership, some of the highest pre-COVID ridership return of any transit system in the United States. We've also invested heavily in shared spaces in order to ensure that so many of our businesses could survive uh, and uh, make our commercial districts more lively. We've been focusing a lot on street safety, um, including uh, investing our efforts in securing speed safety cameras from the state legislature, um, which have been proven to cut pedestrian fatality rates in half. 
Um, we spend a lot of effort focusing on parking availability, even as demand changes dramatically, particularly with Uber and DoorDash uh, and, uh, and uh, Amazon and other services uh, taking up more of our curb space. Um, and we've been investing in modernizing our traffic um, signal system in order to reduce congestion and improve traffic flow um, all over the city. Ultimately, though, our job is really to focus on trade-offs. Um, the city is continuing to grow and recover, and yet our streets are not getting any wider. The task that we face every day is how do we take streets of a fixed width and allocate that space and manage that space in order to serve the greatest number of people and the highest public good. I'm not a better person when I take Muni or walk to work, but I do take up one-tenth of the roadway space that I do when I drive a car. And so part of our work is recognizing the basic math of mobility and making sure that we're continually prioritizing those modes of transportation that can deliver the most commuters to work um, and the most uh, uh, patrons to our small businesses. Um, our work over the last four years uh, on Muni has been um, uh, well, has turned out far better, in fact, than any of us ever expected was possible, considering um, the forces that were stacked against us um, throughout COVID. Um, it has been a remarkable surprise to us that our customer approval ratings are at the highest level that they've been in over a decade. In fact, Muni was the only government service in the recent citywide um, customer survey um, that showed uh, people really appreciating it more than they did pre-COVID. Um, and that's happened in large part because of the work that we've made uh, uh, to make Muni uh, faster, more frequent, and more reliable. Um, just five years ago, uh, the 14 Mission, for example, when I would go to get the 14 Mission, rather than having one bus arrive uh, every five minutes, you'd get six buses every half hour. Changes that we have introduced to the management of the system has instead asked our operators to simply space themselves out evenly, resulting in a dramatic improvement in reliability. Um, investments, for example, in the Venice busway have improved transit speed and reliability by over 30%. In fact, we get regular complaints from riders that they are missing their stop because they look down at their phone and the bus has traveling now so quickly that there are two stops past where they had intended to get off. Um, and we're continuing to do more work uh, on Muni speed and reliability. We're also trying to recognize that uh, um, street violence is a big concern throughout San Francisco, particularly for people who are walking and biking. And again, about 30 people a year die unnecessarily um, on our streets. And so the work that we're doing uh, in order to promote um, safe streets is right now in our active communities plan. This is a citywide effort that is aimed at asking the question, how can any normal San Franciscan, whether they're a kid trying to get to school or a senior trying to get groceries, how can they reasonably walk or bike or use a mobility assistance device to safely and comfortably get from their neighborhood to any other neighborhood in, in the city? Um, and it, like, this doesn't mean making every street perfect for people on bikes uh, or on foot, but it does mean a connected network that connects every single neighborhood um, in the city to each other. And it means using a variety of different techniques, uh, uh, techniques that have been proven in cities around the world and that we're just beginning to experiment with here in San Francisco. 
Um, so I'm happy to talk uh, more about that process, but right now we are engaged in an extensive um, community engagement effort um, trying to um, speak to small businesses and neighborhood residents all over the city. Uh, we've spoken at over 100 events uh, across the city. Um, we've reached over 6,000 residents and have gotten about 3,000 um, survey responses, trying to help uh, understand um, how do people want to be able to walk or bike in their neighborhood, and again, for any kind of trip, whether that's kids getting to school um, or uh, going uh, to work um, or getting groceries. We're taking very much a locals first approach, uh, focusing on what are actual neighborhood needs rather than cross city needs. Um, and we're focusing on our most vulnerable uh, populations as well as populations that are not typically heard from in conventional city processes. Um, so we're um, currently um, in the feedback stage right now, um, trying to uh, figure out um, is the, are there common themes that we're hearing from communities about what we should be prioritizing? And we'll be continuing to work um, on this process uh, for the coming year, um, including um, helping uh, get feedback from small business uh, uh, corridors about um, what improvements they want to see. Um, another uh, series of questions you asked is about how we do uh, public outreach and engagement. Um, I have here with us today um, our head, uh, of communications, uh, Deanna DeSatis, um, as well as Jeanette Sanchez, um, who works as part of that team, um, and also my chief of staff, uh, Victoria Wise, and they're available to provide uh, more information. Um, our um, engagement efforts are, um, sent, are, are headquartered and are centered around our communications uh, group. We have a specific team for uh, uh, public outreach and engagement. That's uh, 14 staff people working on uh, over 200 projects that we have going right now. Um, and they have a standardized approach to engagement that varies depending upon project size and level um, of controversy. Um, typically what we do in a commercial district is uh, first, and something we would love advice on, try to get a distribution list for how to actually communicate with small businesses. Oftentimes we'll go door to door, um, but um, as you know, oftentimes the owner may not actually be there, and so it's hard sometimes to get um, direct contact with owners, um, as well as have addresses, either phone numbers or email addresses for follow-up. Um, but that is something we always strive to do and would love your advice on. Uh, we'll um, almost always uh, uh, do uh, site tours and uh, uh, form an advisory group um, and uh, work with uh, uh, merchants associations in order to um, understand needs and also to mitigate um, our construction impacts. We've also, over the last six years, had an MTA-specific small business working group um, that has been uh, mainly uh, leaders of neighborhood commercial organizations that have helped us to um, figure out how best to allocate our limited communications uh, resources, as well as understand the needs um, of small businesses. We would love your advice about the best ways to engage um, with local merchants um, in order, again, to be able to allocate our resources uh, as best as we can. Um, again, our outreach efforts vary a lot depending upon the size of our projects. Some of our most disruptive projects, most famously uh, the Van Ness Improvement Project, um, included a very formal business advisory council um, uh, along with um, a pretty significant uh, budget for construction mitigation as well as direct grants to individual businesses. 
Um, our smaller projects like uh, the Geary Rapid project, which um, does not involve any digging up of the street, um, have um, included um, targeted marketing campaigns um, and a budget set aside in order to um, help make sure that customers knew that um, um, all businesses were open um, during the uh, construction period. Um, for many of our projects, we have uh, done uh, sort of creative marketing campaigns where we have collaborated with neighborhood merchants associations um, in order to uh, uh, encourage uh, uh, people to continue shopping. That includes a lot of work that we've done, um, including some gamification for our El Terraval project, um, which has involved significant disruption, um, to uh, um, smaller work um, engaging with the merchants on 16th Street um, and Hyde Street for our more modest transit lane uh, projects. Um, we've also done a citywide effort um, marketing small businesses through or uh, uh, local commercial districts throughout um, San Francisco, um, trying to remind folks about that intense uh, interconnectivity uh, between Muni um, and um, and local businesses. Here's just a few examples of using our own public service announcement ad space um, on our vehicles um, and in citywide posters um, in order to um, help support um, neighborhood commercial districts. Um, whenever uh, any of our projects disrupt um, the streets, and this is happening more often, um, in part because of decades of deferred maintenance across the city. Um, we are trying to catch up on the fact that much of San Francisco's infrastructure was built between 50 and about 110 years ago, and much of that is all reaching the end of its useful life all at the same time, including our trackway on Terravel Street, um, which still had the creosote-soaked uh, you know, redwood timbers from the East Bay Hills um, that were supporting uh, the tracks on Terraval Street laid directly on the sand dunes from the early 20th century. All of that needed to be dug up, um, and the utilities underneath it replaced. That work is necessarily um, disruptive. And so in every case, we try to do what we can to mitigate those construction impacts. Um, one of the things that we do to mitigate construction impacts is to uh, is to collaborate with every other city department and the utility companies in order to replace everyone's infrastructure all at the same time. Um, the upside of that is the street doesn't need to be dug up for another 50 years. The downside, however, is that MTA projects inevitably, be, inevitably end up being much more disruptive because of the need to dig down to replace electrical or sewer or water infrastructure, which is vastly more disruptive than our own infrastructure. Um, so in the case of Terraval, we've worked very closely with uh, people at Parkside um, in order to reduce impacts to the sidewalks, to maintain uh, um, pedestrian access across the construction zone, um, to clean up dust more frequently, um, and to um, uh, do uh, a lot of work to uh, promote uh, small businesses during the construction period. Um, all of this work is documented in the Citywide Construction Mitigation Program. Uh, again, this is developed uh, in collaboration with, the, with OEWD, with Public Works, um, and the PUC, because we all try to coordinate um, our projects together uh, in order to concentrate the impact in a limited time period. Uh, we, for each of these projects, uh, work 
really hard, uh, particularly for the larger impact projects, um, to have clear communication to make sure that there's a single point of contact that any business person can call um, in order to get their needs met. Um, the larger projects um, include um, other mitigation uh, um, investments as well. Um, We've uh, heard a lot of feedback uh, about our program, uh, including advice about starting earlier and being more proactive, uh, making sure that we're being fully truthful about the reality of the necessary impacts, particularly for projects that involve underground utility uh, replacement. Um, and, um, and also the importance of having not only SFM, SFMTA people out there in the community talking one-on-one -on -one with merchants, but having our con contractors um, do the same thing. Um, as I already mentioned, we do collaborate extensively with uh, other agencies. Uh, one way that we do that is by mapping all of our projects, which you can find uh, at the link here, maps.sfmta.com slash sfstreets. Um, so you can learn about existing or upcoming projects uh, on your street or in your neighborhood and how to sign up for updates for those projects. Um, another uh, key area that we spend a lot of time working on is parking and loading. Um, we know that um, while in many um, San Francisco commercial districts, most customers are local and arrive by foot or by bike or uh, more commonly by Muni, um, that parking and loading are absolutely essential elements of making your business work. Um, and so our policies around parking and loading are making sure, number one, that businesses can get access to the services that they need, particularly businesses that have no choice but to take their loading um, from the front, and then making sure that there is available parking for customers um, at all times of day or night. Um, our policies for all SFMTA garages, as well as our meters, is to always charge the lowest price at the parking meter or in the garage that ensures there's always a few spaces available for customers. Again, we charge the lowest price that makes sure that there is availability for customers. Uh, this is the price that optimizes small business success because uh, it creates the perception that you can find a space in San Francisco commercial districts. Um, and, uh, and generally, we are successful at achieving this goal at least um, before 6 p.m. Um, and we apply the same policies at all of the garages that we manage um, as well. And we encourage uh, promoting these garages because most of them um, have available capacity. Um, and finally, before I close for questions, um, I do want to update you on the reality of our budget. So the SFMTA is an enterprise organization. We were set up to be self-funding. And before COVID, we were funded roughly in equal quarters by a fixed set-aside from the city general fund, from parking fees, from transit fares, and from uh, kind of a set-aside of state and federal grants. Um, COVID, of course, devastated uh, two of our revenue streams and is now affecting the third revenue stream, which is the city's general fund. Um, our budget uh, has to balance um, every year, and if it doesn't, it triggers layoff of our staff. So we take our budget very seriously, and we also take our role in supporting the city's economic recovery very seriously because there is no economic recovery without Muni, and there's no Muni without economic recovery. That said, a 
about a quarter of our budget right now is one-time state, federal, and regional uh, recovery grants, um, which expire between about a year from now and about two years from now. Um, we are scrambling right now in order to identify new ongoing funding sources, which will most likely require winning at the November 26th ballot, in order to sustain our services. If we're unsuccessful, the magnitude of the cuts we'll need to make is the equivalent of eliminating 19 muni lines. Um, that's the reality that we're in right now, and we have time to find a long-term approach, but we need to work hard and quickly in order to make sure that Muni can be here in order to allow San Francisco's economic recovery. Uh, we also have a lot of questions for you. Um, we're eager to collaborate. In fact, I and my staff are um, happy to come here whenever you like in order to answer questions, um, but mostly to get advice from you about how do we use our limited and fragile resources in order to best support San Francisco's economic recovery, and particularly our locally owned small businesses, who we understand um, play a much larger role due to the multiplier effect of locally owned businesses um, in the city's economic recovery. You're also central, of course, to our culture as a city. You know, I, I live here not because of the lovely Victorian architecture or the spectacular views, but because of the astonishing uh, variety of services and stuff that I can get um, in any of our neighborhood commercial districts. Um, so with that, happy to take any comments or questions. Thank you. Great, thank you so much, Director Tumlin. That was, that was so good. <laughs> I feel really well prepped to be able to kind of give thought to um, how we can, you know, continue and build a working relationship um, going forward. So um, happy to have any um, questions or comments from commissioners. I know you want to go. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a quick one, maybe. Do you, well, I'm going to start. Oh, is it okay? Ahead, I'll just start with um, Commissioner. Yeah, Commissioner Benitez. Thank you for your presentation. I, I loved it. I'm a huge um, you know, uh, proponent for Muni in, in anything that we do, whether it's going to the games or taking my daughter to school or even taking it to my own small business. I always find a way to make sure I try to take that way first before I try to venture out any other ways of transportation. Um, just a couple, I, and this might be like a three-part question for the whole crew, but the first one is, um, you know, my daughter is of age now where, you know, I would ideally feel comfortable her taking the Muni to school. In terms of your public outreach, how is it that, you, you know, how do you, how do you work with kids in schools? Do you physically go there? Do you um, take them on short trips around and just kind of teach them the ins and outs? Um, is the one question. I just love to see how that public engagement goes. Um, speaking of safety, um, you know, I would love to hear about how exactly either the rider or the bus driver or the driver takes charge of that. I've been in instances where I wasn't sure who is in charge of that. I feel like the rider, the the, the driver doesn't typically do to be very transparent. Um, and they kind of leave it on the riders to take care of that. And I don't know if that's the best situation to put the public in and whether they hear your opinion on that. Um, and then secondly, in terms of engaging with the small business, you guys have probably already done this as well, but um, I've worked with various merchant associations. I used to head our Fillmore Merchants Association. I'm part of a Divisadero Merchant Association too, and I'm sure that they would love to 
hear this presentation. Also, I know their time is very limited, um, just in terms of the breadth of what you can you know, be able to offer. But you know, rather than my opinion would be rather than going kind of door to door, I think you know reaching out to the merchant head or the head of that association. They'll have all the contacts that you need, um, and you can use them as a buffer as well. But if you need kind of a couple contacts out either of those, I'll be more than glad to provide that for you guys. Great. Okay, let me uh, try to take each of those. So uh, since we implemented our free Muni for Youth program a couple of years ago, um, youth have been uh, a huge part of Muni's ridership success story. Uh, kids are not only taking Muni to school in unprecedented numbers, they're also doing all kinds of other kinds of trips. Um, something that I'm actually really hopeful that we can get some academic research done on because I'm curious to know how free Muni has expanded social opportunities and employment opportunities for young people throughout um, San Francisco. Uh, it's also uh, been the source of the most amount of adjustment that we've had to make in the Muni system. So we experience severe crowding, uh, particularly in the morning peak, um, because the school bell times are all at the same time all across the city. Um, and it overlaps with the commute peak for uh, people heading to work as well. So we've had to actually pull a lot of resources out of the downtown in order to provide an unprecedented level of uh, muni service on lines like the 29 uh, or the 44 um, that serve uh, a lot of schools. Um, so one of the things that, you know, we don't, have the resources to go to every school uh, to train kids how to ride. But what we try to do is to partner with the San Francisco Unified School District uh, around tools and, and, and uh, tricks, as well as to provide uh, feedback back and forth for ways in which we can be increasingly better for kids. Um, but uh, that is something we would love more advice on, is how to effectively reach kids not only about how to more skillfully ride Muni, but also how to stay safe um, and their responsibilities um, as a San Franciscan uh, about how to behave appropriately um, with other people on the bus. In terms of safety and security, that is a huge part of our focus right now. Um, despite the fact that we have an unprecedented rate of untreated mental health and addiction issues on the street, uh, and typically with transit, whatever problems you have on the street are going to find their way um, onto transit. Um, because of our investments in security on Muni, um, our reported crime rate on Muni is actually a quarter of what it was a decade ago. We have 12 video cameras and audio recording on every single one of our vehicles. Um, we've also worked very closely with the San Francisco Police Department and the District Attorney's Office to make sure that they understand the data that we have access to um, and that if they can apprehend a criminal on Muni, that they can pretty much be guaranteed of a conviction. Um, we believe that is partly responsible for the fact that while other systems are really struggling with crime, um, we're having a remarkably good success on Muni, despite the fact that we've got a lot of additional work that we need to do. We also train all of our public-facing workforce um, in a whole array of safety and security um, techniques, mostly focused on keeping things chill. So the responsibility of the operator is not to stop crime from happening or to stop somebody to directly intervene um, with a potential violent incident. 
um, but rather to work at de-escalation while at the same time silently contacting um, our transportation management center and SFPD. Um, the responsibility of the writers is, you know, you all are always our eyes and ears out there. Um, please do not ever hesitate to call 911 if you are um, seeing that there is an actual or imminent threat of violence. Um, we want to make sure that PD can respond very quickly. You will notice that in the inside and outside of every vehicle, there is a number in red, um, usually at the front and the back. If you can provide that number, um, we can directly get um, law enforcement or other services there immediately. We also really want to hear not just about crime and violence on Muni, but also things that make you uncomfortable. So we know that while reported crime is down, um, that it there is a likelihood that harassment is up. But in order for us to understand that, we need feedback from all of our writers. Um, so you can use 311 um, or the Muni app um, or go online to sfmta.com slash munifeedback in order to report incidents of harassment or anything that is making you uncomfortable, whether it is racism or sexism uh, or people doing things that they should not be doing. It's really important to us to be able to get that information so that we can direct our security personnel, our transit fair inspect inspectors, and our transit ambassadors to the locations where we're experiencing problems so that they can address the problem at its root. Uh, and then, yes, <laughs> we're happy to come um, speak to neighborhood merchants associations. Um, just let us know. Uh, Deanna DeSatis is a good contact uh, for scheduling um, staff to come out um, and meet with community. Thank you. Um, Vice President Zizunas. Thank you, Director, and to the team for coming today. We really appreciate your presence in the chambers with us. Um, I have a couple random questions, and think that was a great overall uh, presentation. Um, is there a timeline or update on the Sixth Street project? The Sixth Street project is a DPW project. Oh. Um, we're closely coordinating with them on that, and we can certainly get you uh, an update. There should be a project website. Um, that you can link to from the SFMTA website, but I believe DPW owns the main project website. Well, that leads me to my next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how is your coordination with DPW, and where is there, like, where are the tangible um, kind of places on the sidewalk in which you are um, actually coordinating? Because I know MTA regulates the color of 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 the um, of the curb, um, but does DPW, I guess I want to understand, like, yeah. when in, in my world, I do a lot of deliveries with, with the dolly, right? And for workers, I just want to understand, is there planned buffers for them in um, loading areas? Because, like, the curb where the sidewalk is, like, almost in every space corner has a divot. You know, it's like, it, it's an area that kind of seems overlooked, and it's where a lot of um, people load fragile things. I myself almost ate it like twice last week doing deliveries. Um, so I guess my question is like, where does DPW's jurisdiction end and where does your start and when, where do you communicate on upgrades? Yeah, so roughly speaking, 
SFMTA manages everything that moves, and we manage um, the stri striping of the street, mm -hmm. the color of the curb, traffic lights, uh, and the overhead wires for Muni. DPW manages hard stuff. So the sidewalk, the asphalt, um, the landscape, typically. Um, and then the Public Utilities Commission uh, manages, uh, for the most part, the street lights uh, and the electrical infrastructure. Um, but for all capital projects, we coordinate together and piggyback on each other's mm -hmm. projects, again, in order to minimize, you know, relentless disruption of our businesses. In fact, we have a rule where if any of us goes and does something in the street that none of the rest of us are allowed to do anything in the street for five years. Right. Uh, the other thing is that for curbs, moving a curb is unbelievably expensive. Um, in part because it involves changing the drainage of the roadway and then upgrading, for example, to the <clears throat> latest standards, the Americans with Disabilities Act. So oftentimes mm -hmm. those projects right. um, get instantly much larger. So we tend to not move curbs except when we're doing a major street redo. Um, but there are, you know, there are exceptions to all of that. And if there are, um, again, specific things that you're you know, trying to solve for, um, Deanna is probably a, a good okay. contact. Um, yeah, and yeah. we can put you in touch with uh, our counterparts at DPW. Okay. And we love our friends at DPW, and I'm so glad that Carla Short um, agreed to stay on permanently as the Public Works um, Director. She's fantastic. Very good. She and I are of a similar mind. Okay, cool. So so the, they, they upgrade. You do the color of the curb, but they do the upgrades yeah, of if it involved, the pedestrian walkways. For and, the most part, and, and such. yeah. Sometimes, okay. if we're doing a whole big thing next to it, sometimes yeah. we'll end up having to replace that. But okay, they they typically take the lead when it when it's concrete. Okay, yeah. I just my intent in asking that is we talk about buffers for for bikes for vehicles, but the the buffers for workers and you know delivery is just always kind of you know, how do we make space for, for those types of activities on, mm -hmm. on curb space? And it's just my general yep. hope that that's part of the planning. If there is, if you're having acute delivery needs, so for example, mm -hmm. when the film commission is doing some big thing or um, when there is a major move-in at, uh, you know, a, a, a new building, um, our temporary sign shop will sometimes create special dedicated zones for a short term okay. that allow for lots of lots of maneuvering to allow uh, major load in to occur. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So if it's if it's about managing things out there in the street, that's usually our responsibility. Interesting. Okay. Uh, thank you. And um, I guess just like one more thing. Well because this is a community um, cautionary tale we've seen in the past, I don't think under your leadership, but we um, have had issues with the ad, certain ads that MTA has taken in the past. We've seen a lot of really politicized and problematic ads in our, in our city as of late, and I just want to warn, since we've had some very serious community issues with, with ads taken, um, with money, ads money taken by MTA before that, I hope that you all have a lot of scrutiny with who you're <laughs> accepting for ad space, especially now. Yes, indeed. Not only have we changed our policies yeah. around what ads we accept, 
we're, we're also um, always on the lookout for gorilla ads in our space, which we've seen an uptick in. So if you see an ad that you think does not belong on city property, please call 311 immediately um, and, uh, and provide the, you know, the location and, and what's going on. We've had to, uh, just over the last couple of months, uh, send crews out. And usually we can, our crews can respond within an hour, uh, for, particularly for anything that is politically charged or offensive. Great, thank you. And I think that was my questions. Thank you. Um, any other questions before I, I do have a little bit of a list of questions. <laughs> um, not in any particular order, but um, you know, I'm wondering about um, recovery and regional tourism. Um, now that I've been kind of, you know, building a business now in a more tourist centric kind of part of the neighborhood. I'm seeing a lot of people from different places and and um, I'm spending a lot of time like just almost surveying people like where are you coming from? You know, who 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 um, is recommending good stuff to you? Like how are how are you getting around? What are you seeing? And so this is like a wonderful opportunity to kind of understand how people are moving about what people are thinking about in terms of San Francisco um, as a city. Luckily, I would say like 100% of the people that I've talked to have had fantastic experiences in our city. Um, and of course, not a surprise, it shouldn't be a surprise, but you know, living here, we know that there are challenges. Um, so I guess one of the things I'm noticing is a lot of regional tourism, a lot of like uh, weekends in the city, um, people coming in for the night to spend time um, you know, thinking about dinner, but also spending time bookending it with like something beforehand, before dinner, walking around a place before dinner and doing something after. And so I'm kind of wondering like, what are the conversations and the thoughts that you have in terms of working with other modes of transportation, right? Most people are kind of driving into the city. Is there a park and shuttle, Uber, whatever, or you know, whatever kind of ride share Thing. Like, what is your plan for people coming from other cities around the Bay Area? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, just two weeks ago, I met with um, the new director of SF Travel, Scott Beck, um, who I was so happy to learn, uh, in addition to his experience in Toronto, also um, has experience in Salt Lake City, uh, where... Uh, your ski pass is your regional transit pass good on all buses and trains uh, in the whole greater Salt Lake region. Um, and Scott really understands the importance of integrating mobility um, into tourism. Um, and so we are looking at some interesting partnerships, um, not only with Muni, but also taking advantage of the new Bay Pass program that provides an integrated pass across all 26 Bay Area transit agencies um, so that you know, your BART ticket is also your cable car and Muni ticket. Um, but in the meantime, um, while the region is working on that, um, we encourage you to think about how to use Muni Mobile on your phone. Um, it's really easy for us to create um, special deals where we package all day of Muni uh, along with your special event ticket. You know, every ticket to Chase Arena is a Muni Pass. Uh, every ticket to Outside Lands is also a Muni Pass. 
um, we would love to integrate um, the use of the regular Muni system as well as the specialness of our cable cars into programming a whole day in San Francisco. Um, like, I don't know how to do that because I'm not a travel person, but I'm a transport nerd and I would be delighted to work with any business organization in order to find ways of how to fold that in. Um, we also try really hard because we understand that particularly families coming from the region uh, may really want to drive in. Um, and so we really want to promote the SFMTA parking garages, which almost like we've got 30 odd of them, almost all of them, especially now, have plenty of capacity. Um, they're also the cheapest place generally for visitors to leave their car in um, all day. So come in, park in one of the SFMTA garages, download your Muni Mobile uh, Pass, and have a spectacular day in San Francisco without having to worry about driving and parking um, in San Francisco neighborhoods. You know, t you know, park downtown, take the cable car to Fisherman's Wharf, um, go get your fresh crab uh, off the dock at Scoma's. You know, it's fantastic. That, that is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I feel like taking public transit is something really special for, um, for, you know, kids, like you were saying, you know, I know, um, for me being able to take public transit to work makes me feel like I'm living in a city, right? I get to see people and like bump, you know, bump into people a little bit, you know, more every day. So I think that's a fantastic, um, resource or like a, a thing that I did not know about that I would love to share with people is the ability to park and like, experience the city as any of us may do, do daily. Um, um, I think I'm also, I might go back to that in a second. I had another thought, but um, wanted to move to loading zones. I know um, we talked briefly about that already, but is there an, any thought or um, opportunity to have dedicated loading zones for um, food delivery services that are not manned by SFMTA, but the responsibility is then on the delivery service to figure out how the efficiencies work? Yes, so loading zones are a topic of a lot of internal conversation right now. All of you are small businesses, you know just how dynamic the world of curbside pickup and drop-off is. I mean, it has changed dramatically just over the last couple of years. And there is incredible competition for that curb space. Like if we're increasing loading zones, we're taking away metered customer parking, um, or we're increasing double parking. Um, one of the things that we're also, we try to be responsible for is emergency response time. And in the analytics that we did around uh, using the GPS trackers on our fire engines, or the, you know, the, the fire department's fire engines, um, the most significant correlation we could find with increased emergency response time is increased double parking in our neighborhood commercial districts. Um, it's also, you know, creates significant safety hazards as well, uh, particularly for pedestrians and people on bikes. So this is, this is something we really struggle with and perhaps is one of the most important topics for us all to collaborate on. How do we take that limited and incredibly precious curb space and maximize the public good? 
because there ain't no perfect solution for sure. Um, one of the things that um, we're also eager to understand better is how can the city help coordinate delivery schedules so that they can happen when that parking is least needed for customers? Um, but in the meantime, um, we're also um, experimenting with delegating some more, like we're very cautious about this because we're controlling bureaucrats, but delegating more responsibility for that real-time fine-tuning of curbside management um, to um, commercial entities uh, for things like at entertainment venues, um, uh, clearing out the curb for when all the giant trucks for the musicians are coming in. Like, I, I don't need to be in charge of that. I can trust businesses to manage that a little bit on their own. So um, again, a topic where I think collaboration would be fruitful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that kind of um, reminds me that, you know, one of the questions I was thinking about um, or that I've been thinking about is, how do we create more nimble, flexible systems in general, right? Because it's like we've had to change from, you know, what we kind of knew to then like a world where now scooters, self-driving vehicles, like, you know, delivery services, like all these things have changed within just a handful of years. And what that leads me to believe is that in the next handful of years, things are going to change again significantly, right? And this is kind of the life that we live in. So how do we, you know, how do we build a system that is so used to change that this is like the normal and we're not, and I think a lot of that maybe is in the communication systems, right? Like I think your, <laughs> your job is going to be increasingly more difficult because I feel like we're very close to many answers, but oftentimes the gap between, you know, the, the solution and what everybody else is feeling is just, we're not all getting the same message like and um and so i think as small business owners and um and leaders and advocates in the small business community we have a real opportunity to be able to connect in this way to understand what some of these you know things are and um and be able to share them with so many more people than if we're hitting them you know if we're taking a message door to door so um so this is exciting. Um, and how do we create a more nimble, flexible system? Did you figure that out already? Well, I, I mean, we, like we've, been, <laughs> we've been forced to during COVID, but there was no way we could have survived during the worst of COVID you know, when I had 80% of my workforce was in quarantine and yet we still needed to provide services. Like we, we, we were forced to reinvent everything and to strip away all of our pointless bureaucracy. Well, not all of it. There's still a lot of bureaucracy um, that I'm still working on. Um, but our starting point for making changes to our processes was getting clarity about what our values are. Um, ultimately, the decisions that we make as an agency are the same as the decisions that you make every day as small business owners. I have a limited amount of resource. How do I best allocate that? For, I mean, in my case, the public good, for your case, in order to serve your customers' needs and make a profit. So, you know, somewhat different motivations, but ultimately the same phenomenon of clarity of values um, and recognition that in order to do our jobs, we have to face very difficult and unpopular trade offs. 
one of the things that I realize about my job is oftentimes, you know, any transportation director's job is not to make people happy, but to make everyone equally unhappy because the demand for transportation is always greater than the limited street right-of-way um, or muni budget that we have to play with, right? So it's about how do I use my, my limited resources to best support the public good? In the past, was the budget, like, and maybe you said this during the, the presentation, but in the past, was the budget always balanced with like the revenues from ridership alone, or, or maybe not alone, but largely? Um, no, so again, uh, in the past, our budget was about equal quarters, muni fares, parking fees, fixed set aside from the general fund, and then state and federal grants, you know, those four sources. Um, but our parking and transit fares have been in long-term decline relative to inflation. So in fact, for 20 years, we've been balancing our budget through deferred maintenance. We've been letting the system fall apart. That was the decision that we made. And that is one of the things that I am trying to reverse. And of course, it is also making me very unpopular because we simply can't deliver the services that we used to deliver because the revenue is nowhere near where it needs to be in order to support that. Um, and instead, we've been kicking the can down the road and letting things fall apart. So we're trying slowly to put the system back together again. Um, we were amazed that as a result of, you know, we have this quarterly, what we call fix-it week, where we shut down the subway at 9.30 p.m. And our maintenance crews, we get all of our maintenance crews together. They start at 9.30 p.m. They work a full eight-hour shift all night long for a week and try to... Um, try to deal with deferred maintenance. Um, it's had the impact of reducing major delays in the subway by over 60%. I did not think that was going to be possible. And you'll remember before COVID, you'd be taking the subway, you know, from wherever to downtown, and you'd get, you know, it'd be going fine, and then you'd get past church station, and then the train would just shudder to a stop. And they would lurch forward and stop, and then lurch forward to stop, and then you'd get into Venice station, and then you'd stop again. And that's mostly gone now. And that is an example of just a little bit of catch up with deferred maintenance. Um, and a lesson that we learned from some of our peer agencies like Boston that, that didn't make the hard choices and instead have let their systems quite literally fall apart. So just so I can understand, so parking, parking and traffic has revenues have gone down, right? Like people are not, or- Yes, relative to inflation, okay. right? So our costs rise every year with the cost of labor. You know, our budget is overwhelmingly muni drivers and mechanics and, you know, people delivering services and their wages rise with the cost of living every year. Mm. Um, but our revenues have basically been flat or in some cases declining in real dollars. So the ridership is not helping gain like we're not seeing the gains in ridership that we need in order to offset the loss in parking and traffic. That's right. And we're also, because of our equity values, doing things like free muni for low-income seniors, free muni for all youth, um, deeply discounting transit fares for low-income uh, folks. Measures that we feel are very important, but ultimately impact our bottom line and our ability to sustain the service. 
Um, oh, this is a side note, but like, is there a tourist pass? Is there like a five there day is. seven? Yeah. So again, Muni Mobile is your friend. Um, download it. We have a new app, and on there you can um, get not only uh, one day passes, but also three and five day passports. Uh, including passports that fold in um, cable car as well. Mm, okay. Very, 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 really good deals for uh, for your your visitors, particularly if you have people coming in from out of town. And just as another little uh, note, when or what are the thoughts around um, more robust transport from the north to the south, like on the west side? So like Sunset yes. Richmond connection. Yeah, this is something that we're also working on, uh, both in our long range planning. So, you know, we are in the midst of planning, you know, our next 50 year project, which would likely be a subway um, out Geary and then down 19th Avenue to Daly City Station. But in the short term, uh, we have heard a lot from our West Side friends that travel patterns have changed a lot in the West Side and they're much more oriented north south than east west. Uh, than they had been historically. And so we're working on significant improvements both to the 28 19th Avenue as well as the 29 Sunset. Mm -hmm. The latter project was actually driven by a bunch of Lowell students who got us to really focus on the data for the 29 and the extraordinary, the extraordinary complexity of the travel patterns in the 29 as also it's, it's our longest normal route and so also one of our least reliable. Um, so we've been incrementally focusing segment by segment on improving reliability and frequency uh, on the 29. Uh, we're also partnering with Caltrans on the big 19th Avenue construction project uh, in order to improve um, reliability and speed uh, for the 28. Uh, we've also just recently increased frequency uh, on both of those lines. Um, ultimately, we want to make those two lines to be as robust as any of our main lines in San Francisco. Um, again, knowing that a lot of the West Side travel pattern is very much associated with Northern San Mateo County. Mm. Um, one perhaps last question. <laughs> you can tell I've been like gearing up for months now. I can, I can come back too. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I have. Should, okay, I'll ask this one last question and then I'll ask the 20 others after everyone else. <laughs> but. Um, so, oh, things like commute times and data, like usage data, is that available for small business owners so that we can have an understanding? Like if I own a business, you know, downtown, I know what days I should be open because this seems to be the days that people are naturally commuting. Uh, that, so yes and no. Um, we have access to that sort of detailed trip planning data, um, but through special deal from private companies, you know, it's basically telemetrics data, you know, it's, you know, the cell phone companies tracking your cell phone, mm -hmm. um, and then they disaggregate that data to look at mm -hmm. patterns. And it's something that we use regularly. I'm trying to think if there are free sources for that refined data, probably not. I mean, the free stuff that you can get are, for example, um, you know, walk score, bike score, transit score that are available. You know, you could see on Zillow or, you know, any real estate site will tell you, roughly speaking, how accessible you are um, by other modes. Mm -hmm. But that sidewalk level data, um, that is expensive typically. And there are many companies that do sell that data, um, you know, aimed really largely at retailers. 
Because that would be helpful for our small business community to understand as we plan activations, as we plan, you mm -hmm. know, um, opening hours, as we plan special events, um, all different things. And I think if somebody was interested in partnering with small businesses in a capacity to help provide that data, that would be wonderful. I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll tune, turn to your executive director here. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, um, Katie Tang and I have um, spoken before about how we might jointly purchase mm. um, telemetric data like that um, or credit card data uh, on a, you know, to really track in real time um, the health of neighborhood commercial districts by NAICS code mm -hmm. so that we can see, you know, the impact of our work, both positive and negative, and get a quicker signal um, about um, impacts um, quicker than we can get from, for example, the sales tax data, which we do track. Yeah, because then we can work together to really help, you know, um, make things as robust as we'd like. Um, Commissioner Zuzunas, or Vice President Zuzunas. Thank you. Uh Quick follow-up to uh, President Huey's question about budget. Um, I know that we've had a big federal infrastructure plan that's slowly trickling down to our municipalities. Were you all able to, um, were any of the like RFPs that have issued through the state or directly from you know Department of Transportation or whatnot relevant to San Francisco? Were we able to uh, acquire any of that? And do we have a good state contact that we that we coordinate with or um, that's kind of my question. Yes. So we, our grants team has been very successful the last couple of years in securing um, both state, federal, and regional grants for our projects. Um, most of our significant capital projects um, have at least some state or federal match uh, to them. Uh, one of the reasons why we're, we've been successful is because of the values-oriented approach and collaborative approach that we take with our projects and strong track record um, on delivery. Um, that's something else that we haven't really talked about is, you know, I have two projects that I inherited uh, that began a very long time ago and finished uh, under my term uh, that um, did have some significant uh, cost overruns and delays associated with them. Uh, they were also really important lessons learned to make sure that um, all of the work that has started over the last five years um, stays on time and on budget, which we are being almost entirely successful with. But of course, being on time and on budget doesn't warrant you a headline in the newspaper. And and it, what is the state agency that helps you all with like um, following those you know SFPs or whatever? Um, like, do is there a lot of coordination with your grant team? Um, and, and an entity with our with Oh, yes. Our yeah, and it varies depending upon funding source. Yeah, so okay. if you're getting a significant amount of federal funding, that also comes you with a lot of federal that. oversight and mm -hmm. auditing. Right. Um, we are absolutely the most audited unit in all of government uh, because mm -hmm. every funding source comes with, uh, with, an, with an audit. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, okay. that is, uh, that is a, a way not only in which we stay accountable, but in which we... Um, we have continuous improvement. You know, I always love myself a good audit because it gives me a little bit more authority to um, get the team to um, to adopt best practices and to uh, better deliver in the public trust. That's great. Thank you for engaging our questions.
Um, Commissioner Benitez. Yeah, thank you. Um, quick question about revenue without getting too much of the weeds and, and things like that. But I do have a question, and let me know if I, I should have known this, but Clipper Card versus Muni Mobile. Mm -hmm. In terms of Clipper Card, knowing that it goes to various agencies for transportation, does SFTA get a percent of whatever that payment is? And then for Muni Mobile, do you guys get 100% of those that revenue? And Clipper's readily available on my Apple wallet. Like I was able to download it really quick. Now with, with Muni Mobile, it was honestly just feverishly kind of going through it. And I was like, I still have to enter in my card. It doesn't necessarily connect very quickly. I think everyone's all about quickness as well. I think that's what might kind of help with with just accessibility. Um, just kind of you know, those two questions, like uh, Clipper versus versus Muni Mobile, and then are there any, any speaking of Nimble, being able to access it, the Muni Mobile, much more quicker in terms of payment um, so that riders can easily go on. Yes, so let me be really clear. Your primary approach for payment should be Clipper. Mm -hmm. Right, that's that's the tool that you know works for most transactions we get basically the same amount of revenue from a Clipper transaction versus a Muni Mobile transaction. Um, so use Clipper. Um, Clipper is also going to be up, un undergoing some massive upgrades over the next year. Um, and hopefully that will allow Clipper to be able to do the things that we rely currently on Muni Mobile to mm -hmm. do. So Clipper is great. It's also about 10-year-old technology at this point. Um, and so in the near future, um, um, all 27 different agencies are going to be transitioning to full um, open loop um, account-based uh, transit passes through Clipper. And what that means is you can either use your Clipper account or uh, tap your credit card or tap you know, your Apple Pay on your phone um, in order to access um, all transit in the region. And we'll also do all the backend processing to input any discount that you're owed and eliminate uh, transfer penalties and, um, and hopefully soon um, have what we call fare capping, where um, you you know, after you've spent a certain amount per day, you no longer get charged. And after you've spent a certain amount per month, you no longer get charged. So that for low-income people, you don't have to buy a fast pass all at once on the same day that rent is due. Instead, you can pay for transit $3 at a time um, until you reach the fast pass total. Those are all um, innovations that we uh, will be implementing uh, in the coming months. Director Tang. Thank you. I know we have tons of questions, but out of respect for our colleagues who are up next, I'm just going to um, leave it to one, which is really more um, educational for, I think, the commission and public. Um, I get asked this question a lot about construction mitigation and how it is that we can support businesses that are impacted by these projects. So El Terraval is an example, and of course there are many others that we can name, but can you just um, shed light on um, why that's not possible or what are some of the considerations into that? Um, I know you talked already about how it is that you try to direct more business to the <laughs> corridors, but of course um, many of the businesses directly impacted don't feel like that's enough, and so they continuously ask us about, um, again, these mitigation funds. So if you could just speak to that and what are the thoughts uh, around that and why it is or is not possible. Yeah, so this is another one of these topics that we really struggle with. Um, anytime that um, the street needs to be dug up, and that's typically when uh, an SFMTA project has triggered a PUC um, or private utility project um, 
that has them digging underneath our projects, but then it all gets bundled as one. Uh, those projects um, are super disruptive um, to both businesses and residences uh, wherever they occur. And so we're always trying to be creative and figuring out how do we minimize the negative impact and then how do we, what can we do to drive customers there? Um, folks sometimes uh, ask us about direct cash payment for the fund sources that we use um, that is almost always unallowable. Uh, particularly with state or federal funds. Um, and so, you know, we can't just write checks to business owners or residents, um, but we can be creative around the edges uh, about um, driving commerce, um, minimizing impact, minimizing footprint, minimizing um, schedule. Um, and so oftentimes what that means is um, working collaboratively with the merchants and the contractor to figure out um, you know, do you, what's sort of the optimum scheduling of the disruption? Like, do you want us to just go all in, all at once and just get it done? Or minimize the overall project schedule um, where we would be doing different elements all at the same time so that the overall project takes less time, but there's a longer impact on an individual block. Um, Again, this is something that we are eager to collaborate with all of you and um, with your staff at OEWD in order to figure out how do we, how do we best um, upgrade our decrepit infrastructure um, and make it as easy as possible in our businesses. Great, thank you. And just one more question. Given that we want to deepen our relationship um, between small businesses and SFMTA, um, I believe there's a small business advisory for SFMTA. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how um, people are chosen or, or who sits on that and, and the, the, I guess the details about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. This is also something that we would like advice from all of you on. So for the last six years or so, we've had a small business advisory committee specific to the SFMTA um, that is usually you know neighborhood business leaders, uh, who come and help us problem solve. Um, it's been uh, challenging for us to, um, to keep this program going, largely because San Francisco small business owners are having to keep their businesses operating, and so they're needed at the cash register. Um, at the same time, the Council of District Merchants is also forming their own transportation-specific subcommittee. And so that's one thing, like, should we... Should we be investing our limited staff resources, the Council of District Merchants Subcommittee? Should we put effort into doing recruitment for our own agency specific? Like, do you all want to come help us? How, how is, you know, given the fact that you're all working 80-hour weeks, how can we best collaborate? I don't have those answers. <laughs> I, I will just say that from our experience, and I know Director um, Tumlin, you asked earlier, how can you get in best contact with the business owners? What we found is it literally just takes multiple trips door to door. It's not through a mailing list, which I think TTX is probably the only department that has all the contact info, but I don't think they can share that um, you know, with us. Um, and so really it's just going door to door and um, trying to engage, leaving behind materials. Um, so I know you do have a, a 
was it, I think 14 people on your um, public outreach and engagement team. And so I do think, yeah, it's not just once, not just twice. Sometimes it'll take multiple times. Um, and that's probably best, even better than a, a working group because, you know, every, again, everyone is busy. We don't, like, in our office, we don't ever ask people to come to us to have a meeting. We actually literally just go to them um, to have those conversations. So that's my recommendation. All right. The working group will hear the same things. Like, mm -hmm. small businesses are repeating. You know the issues, so... I would second that. Okay. Well, I think that's pretty much all I have. If there's no other comments up here, then I'd like to open this up for public comment. If public commenters want to line up to my left, your right, if there are any. I see none. We'll see no public comment. Um, I guess public comment is closed. And thank you very much, Director <laughs> Tumlin, and so all of your team. I really appreciate all of, um, all of the information, and we look forward to a long-lasting relationship. Thank you. Next item, please. Item three, San Francisco Lens presentation. This is a discussion item. SF Lens is an initiative of the Office of the Treasurer and Tax Collector and the City Administrator's Office that aims to connect small businesses to affordable loans and lines of credit for their day-to-day -day cash flow needs. The Commission will receive an overview of this new initiative. Presenting today, we have Tejal Shah and Nicole Abignani with the Office of the Treasurer and Tax Collector. And looks like Steph Director Stephanie Tang. Good evening. Thanks so much for having us. My name is Tejal Shah. I'm the Chief Assistant Treasurer for the City and County of San Francisco. I'm here with two amazing colleagues, Stephanie Tang, who heads up the Contract Monitoring Division. It's almost her one-year anniversary as head. And Nicole Agmiani, who's the Director of Financial Empowerment here at the Treasurer's Office. And we're here to really share with you um, a new pro program project that we just recently launched. We wanted to let you know about it so you can further inform your um, colleagues and other businesses um, about this hopeful opportunity that we have. And so the project is called SF Lens. It is a partnership as articulated with ourselves and Contract Monitoring Division and the City Administrator's Office. And what it really is, is going to advance, is a new initiative that has come forward recognizing that the traditional banking institutions do not have loans and products that serve small businesses. And it was really out of response out of that that we sort of identified this need. Um, it connects small businesses, particularly with lines of credits and loans for day-to-day -day cash flow. And it is with banks so that small businesses can establish long-term relations, not traditionally CDFIs. And I'll speak a little bit more about that design and why and the intent behind that. 
Um, first, I'll speak a little bit about why the treasurer's office and how this all started, because I think it was helpful to know a little bit of that context. Um, we, the treasurer's office is responsible for all of the banking relations with the city and county. So all the monies that come into the city, all the monies that go out, all of our bond capital proceeds, everything comes in, all our tax payments. Um, and every year, like all of our other partners here in the city family, we have to do a request for proposal to check and see if the banking partner that we have meets our requirements and go through an RFP process and a contracting process. Um, and we did that. And in that process, we also included not only traditional commercial banking for a $13 billion business called the City and County of San Francisco, but we really looked at our practices that are in the neighborhoods and social responsibility and our commitment to the work that the treasurer has started around kindergarten to college and loans for young folks, as well as getting rid of predatory products and all of those pieces. And through that, we really made all of the banks that were seeking business with the city and county to really engage with us on that front as well. In addition, we actually spearheaded one of the first task forces around public banking. And in that conversation, we found continuation of conversations with folks like you and others that there isn't capital for small businesses. And that if there is, it's really mostly people doing self-financing on their own, relying on friends and family, and really looking at why we were seeing that the financial market does not provide services that are so critical and necessary. And if they do, their definition of small business is not our definition of small business. And so that was really sort of the underpinning of this. In addition, our partners in other city departments like the port came forward and said, we have these amazing LBEs and contracting with the city's not easy, right? We have really long milestone payments. As a subcontractor, the money's going through several channels. And so the port and others were like, we wanna really support our LBEs and our sub LBEs, figure out how to be really great you know, be, be healthy while they're working on our project, most simply. Um, so that was really sort of what fermented this concept. Um, and what we did is, ah, sorry, there we go. So what we did is really went to all of the banking community, and I'll speak a little bit about the product and the process, and said, we really want to have loan products and lines of credit specific to small businesses, specific to our LBEs, specific to ones that are contracted with us. Um, they need to be products that are native to the bank, not specific to San Francisco. And the reason why is because we wanted scale. If we, the city was underwriting, it'd be very limited in the number of people that we could serve and very limited. And frankly, we did ask the banks to do that and they said it's just not big enough for them to invest in. And what they also shared with us was that they had products that were coming forward that they had never really released in response to both COVID as well as sort of Black Lives Matter and sort of really supporting um, small people of color um, businesses throughout this, the country. So it was one of those combinations where the bank was saying, um, we reckon, well, we, we'll see if they, how clearly they recognize the need, but they are learning to put product out there and um, 
when we were putting forward sort of an ability to underwrite, they said it's just not big enough for sort of these large scale institutions to play. So that's what we said. We wanted a product that was for our LBEs and contracted entities and overall small businesses. I think I said all this. This is great. So the, the project is really specific to the very communities that I said, but it's also for all small businesses. So one of the things that was really exciting for us about this is that we were able to broker relations, I sort of think about it as sort of arranged marriages and brokering relations, with banks that already exist that have products and any small business that wants to go forward to them. So it isn't prescriptive by nature, by business, by size, or if they do or don't have a contract with the city or county of San Francisco, because we really wanted to underpin that. And it really came forward, as you also know, and why we chose banks and not CDFIs, because as many of you know, the city did significant work during COVID and Pat had money go through CDFIs. But what you also learned, better you than I in many cases, is that folks that got PPP loans were through their banks and not CDFIs. And so recognizing that we wanted to really establish a relationship so that you can have partnerships with banks that can help you in really difficult and trying times and have access to cash and funds when the federal government puts those forward and not have to sort of then cobble together a relationship while the folks that had the relationship benefit from it from the first place. So that was very intentional in that structure and design. We did do an RFI. Um, we went out to the entire banking community. Um, I failed to mention that the city has contractual relations with some of the largest banks through our competitive process. We have contracts with Bank of America, JP Morgan, Citibank, and U.S. Bank. And we also spoke, obviously, through our RFP process through many, many, many other banks. So we went back to that entire community plus more and said, here's this concept, this thing called SF, loan, SF Lens, come forward, give us your best, we're going to rank it, we're going to score it, and we're going to determine who's in and who's out, and what we'll do is really broker for you. We're not going to tell you what to do, we're not going to tell anybody what to do, but we're going to really broker it. We said no to some institutions. We said yes to some institutions. We established MOUs with them. And what you see online and what we'll talk about with my colleagues next is who we chose, what the products are, and the next steps, and what supports that we have available to institutions that go and speak to those banks about wanting to get a line of credit or wanting to get a loan and some of the outreach and successes we've had so far. So I'm going to pass it over to Nicole, and then we look forward to your questions. And thank you again for this time. Good evening, Commissioners. Good evening, Director Tang. Once again, Nicole Agbayani. I'm the Director of the Office of Financial Empowerment. And as Tejal mentioned, we're a small section and we sit under the umbrella of the Treasurer's Office. Um, so I'll just share a couple more things about the experience of small businesses once they get into the SF Lens Initiative. And we'll start here with, this is actually a screenshot from the website that we've set up publicly where we're really trying to pave the way and create an easy pathway for small businesses to be able to access these products that, as Tejal described, we've gone through, we've vetted, and we've qualified for this list. Um, so the products themselves, we're working with four financial institutions, and we have five products that we've qualified. There's a range including loans as well as lines of credit, whichever the businesses are needing. 
Um, there's some that are open to any small business, and then there are a couple. The two that are on the right of this slide that Tejal mentioned are part of special purpose credit programs, which is a newer initiative of the federal government, and these are specifically available for BIPOC-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, LGBTQ, and veteran-owned businesses. And something else that we're really proud and we think sets SF Lens apart is that we've been able to have a close working relationship with the financial institutions who have signed up to be part of SF Lens. Um, so I mentioned that this is just a screenshot from our public website, and we're actually able to have each of these banks provide a distinct point of contact, including their direct contact information that we're providing directly to businesses on the website to be able to reach out directly to these banks. So as we had uh, developed the SF Lens initiative, it was important for us to be able to have a pathway for businesses that could be self-service. We didn't want to create another city program that puts up different barriers or hoops that folks have to jump through before they can actually access the resources that they need. And so uh, another thing that we offer on our website is some basic guidance around the types of things that businesses will need to do to prepare before they apply for the products. But SF Lens is designed such that it can be a self-service model where we've published the products online, businesses can go directly to the banks and they can apply directly with them for the products. So a little more about the process that they would go through. Um, as I mentioned, they, we have these products online. The businesses are applying directly with the banks and so they will use their standard application and they'll use their standard underwriting procedures the way that we've set it up, the financial institutions will review the applications themselves and they'll be the ones that are determining whether the business is approved or denied. And then we as TTX are there to serve in an ombuds role, if you will, in that we've created a dedicated inbox, sf.lens at sfgov.org, which is actually um, the recipients of that. I'll share Artesial, myself, and a chief policy analyst within our department. Um, where we're there to be available for businesses if they're having trouble along the way in the application process or if they've been denied and, and they want to um, continue to work towards accessing capital. And so we, we want to make ourselves available to small businesses to be able to help them on their side. And then additionally, um, we've, we've set up so that we are having conversation with the banks as well. Um, so we imagine that the majority of businesses will access SF Lens through that self-service model, like I mentioned. Uh, but we did also want to create supports that are available for folks if they feel like they need a little bit of extra help when they're trying to access that capital. Um, and so we are working with two entities to be able to provide that additional technical assistance and make it available. Everything that you see here on the slide is provided for free. And um, we're excited to be partnered with the Office of Small Business and the Small Business Development Center to provide the lion's share of TA for businesses that need it. So this will be that one-on-one -on -one consulting that is provided through SBDC to answer questions like, which product of these is the right one for me? How much should I be applying for? Um, as well as providing kind of the, the wraparound consulting and supports to be able to have a strong application going in. Um, and then my group, the Office of Financial Empowerment, is providing a smaller slice of TA for a specific kind of circumstance. Um, so we have a program called Smart Money Coaching. It provides free one-on-one -on -one financial counseling for anyone who lives, works, or receives services in San Francisco. 
Typically, we're providing this service to individuals, but we have heard in, in working on de uh, developing SF Lens that one of the barriers to accessing capital, particularly for our smallest small businesses, can be the owner's own credit score. And so our, our coaches are really well trained and have a fantastic track record with supporting folks through credit, credit counseling. And so we're providing this service for SF Lens businesses if they need support in this key area. And so we actually just launched the SF Lens initiative in the middle of December of last year. So it's, it's very new, but the way that we've set it up is that we want a continuous conversation with these banks with their products listed on the SF Lens site. And so we're engaging in quarterly meetings with the financial institutions. And we actually just had our first quarterly meeting last week where we're asking them to keep us posted on what's happening with our SF Lens businesses. Let us know how many folks are applying, if they're seeing approvals, that's fantastic. We want to know those success stories. But more importantly, we want to understand if there are trends for reasons that people are getting denied so that we can be really proactive and continuously improving and seeing if there's ways that the city can be tweaking our uh, technical assistance that we're providing and making sure that there can be more successful outcomes for the businesses. And so we have those in a routine conversations set up with the banks. And then, as I mentioned, we have this inbox set up where we really want to hear directly from small businesses on their experience as well so that we can be kind of the bridge in that conversation to make sure that people are not just applying for these funds but actually having success in, in um, getting them. Um, and so I can share, uh, like, as we've launched SF Lens, uh, very new, as I mentioned, I think our, our energy and led by Director Tang of the Contract Monitoring Division has really been around doing outreach so far. So we've been thinking about this in a variety of ways, working to present to city bodies like this one, the LBE Advisory Committee, the Office of Small Business. We've also um, tried to activate our relationships with chambers of commerce. So the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce is helping us to do outreach to their membership. We've done a presentation very similar to this at the African American Chamber. And then we've been putting a lot of energy into reaching out to other technical assistance providers that work with small business and affinity groups. So we've been in front of groups like Build Out California, uh, Renaissance Center, and um, Main Street launch, and we have many more of these engagements that are planned uh, to be able to really get the word out about SF Lens, and we'd love your support on that as well. Um, and the last thing I'll share before we open up for questions is that we were excited to hear in the quarterly meeting that we had with the banks last week that we have had some applicants already go through and apply for some of these products. Um, I think about six, they've said, which we're really excited about considering that it was just the holidays when we launched. And so we're excited to see that small businesses are going through and applying. We know of one so far that has been extended a line of credit that they're um, waiting for the small business owner to ink. And so we hope that this is just the, the beginning and the first of many that we're able to kind of make that happy uh, match made between um, the small business with a banking relationship and then with the access to capital that they need. Um, so with that, I think, oh, thank you very much. And we'll open up for any questions that you have. Thank you very much for that presentation. There were so many different things in there that I want to learn more about. Um, Director Tang? Uh, yes, thank you so much. And I know when you came to our staff meeting, um, there was one clarification I was hoping you could make here too, is that 
yes, it is open. These products are open to any small business. You don't have to be doing business with the city or holding a contract with the city. But if you could explain uh, if you are a local business uh, enterprise in LVE or if you're even um, you hold a lease uh, with the city. So, for example, maybe you are in a SFMTA parking lot and you operate a business out of there. What are the benefits or what is the um, uh, I think it was in the, the underwriting process that you could explain how they um, get through that um, as a result. Sure, sure. Thank you. So, so SF Lens, by and large, all of the elements of it are open to any small business across San Francisco. All of these products are publicly available um, and off-the-market products. All of the technical assistance is available to anyone for free as well. And so it's not limited to the local business enterprise certified community or contracted um, entities. The one piece that Director Tang is referencing that is uh, particularly for those folks is during the underwriting process for these loans, we've shared with these banks that they can reach out to us in the city to verify the LBE certification status of applicants as well as their contracts with the city. And so for the one that has been connected with Capital already, like I mentioned, it was a simple email to Director Tang in the Contract Monitoring Division to verify that those, ap the, those elements of that application were correct. Um, and she was able to verify that. So it's just a, an extra layer and added support during the underwriting process, um, particular for certified LBEs who are contracted with the city. Commissioner Benitez. Thank you for the information. Just um, out of my own knowledge of how long do these businesses have to be in operation? Can it be a new business that has just decided to write their, yeah, and open maybe this year? They're not even six months in operation yet or you know, up to legacy businesses as well? That's a great question. Um, so with these particular products, I think it's a minimum of two years in business. Um, but I think uh, Tejal mentioned earlier, we're thinking about SF Lens as part of this kind of whole landscape of the resources that the city has to offer. And so we know that there are CDFI programs that are available for businesses that are just starting out for startups and for entrepreneurs. And so we imagine SF Lens to be one of the kind of rungs in the ladder or the stepping stones along the way. Um, but this particular one, when we went out to the banks to qualify these products, we mentioned two years in business. Um, do you have information that um, we could easily like email out? Do, do we have that already? Okay. And I'll just uh, shout out to Director Tang. We're <laughs> we're cross referencing each other on our websites. So um, yeah, we're on the OEWD and the Office of Small Business website. And likewise, we point to you guys on the SF Lens website. So the information that you saw here is hosted on TTX's website. Nice. One other question about the Office of Financial Empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually did not know that we had an Office of Financial Empowerment <laughs> like for the city. And um, you know, I'm wondering for many of us who um, you know have employees or teams that we manage, is this a, a recommended resource that they can go to if they're experiencing financial challenge? Definitely, and I, I want to make a joke to say I promise I didn't plant that question, but I'm so excited for you to um, ask that, and I'm happy to pass along more information. Um, just really quickly, I think one of the most exciting things that we offer is that financial counseling program that I mentioned. So it's called Smart Money Coaching, 
and it's free for anyone who lives, works, or receives services in San Francisco and allows folks to be able to sit down one-on-one -on -one with a certified financial counselor to talk about anything from their budget to working on debt, their credit, savings, all of those really core basics for financial inclusion and accessing the financial mainstream. Um, and so we're really, really happy to get that service out to as many San Franciscans as possible. Um, we have a variety of other programs that we offer that are around access to safe and affordable bank accounts. We operate the kindergarten to college program that Tejal mentioned that connects every single public school student with a college savings account. Um, so I'm happy to send along uh, additional information or if you're interested, potentially come back and talk about OFE. We would, I, I would definitely be interested in that. I'm sure many of us, um, you know, we, I spend so much time together in our teams and um, to be able to support them with um, you know mentorship in so many ways beyond just what we do daily is I think a really important piece of small business ownership and and leadership so um, I think your office would provide so much support for all of us when we're trying to you know help people along the way so we would love to have you back so thank you Um, let's see, did you have anything else or was that, okay. Well, I don't think we have any other questions up here. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much. I'm going to move on to public comment and if there are any public commenters, please come up to the mic. There appear to be none. Well, seeing no public comment, thank you so much for your time. You. We thank really you. appreciate the presentation. So, uh, oh, public comment is closed. I forgot to say that. Next item, please. Item Thanks. four, Office of Small Business Annual Report. This is a discussion item. The commission will review the Office of Small Business Annual Report for fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Uh, Director Tang will present this. All right, thank you. And um, I know we have some slides that, thank you, Carrie, is gonna share in a moment. All right, so um, while um, we're getting the slides up and running, uh, I think this is just also a great opportunity just to, especially as we have new commissioners too, just to remind folks about um, the services that we offer at the Office of Small Business. Um, and I know we can sometimes get confused with other departments. Um, we are a division also within the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and so just wanted to share um, what our services are. So on page three of the slide, Yes, um, so this is an overview. So we provide counseling services, um, assisting businesses with business registration, uh, connecting entrepreneurs to available resources. For example, if someone is looking for uh, capital, we might connect them with the SF Lens program, just as one example. Um, and of course, providing general guidance for any small business needs. Uh, about a year ago, over a year ago, we added a permit support uh, function to our office. So we have a team of small business permit specialists that help um, entrepreneurs navigate um, the multiple agencies that you often have to go through. Uh, policy development and advocacy, a lot of this work here at the commission, um, and of course through Carrie uh, Bernbach, who's our senior policy um, analyst. And we collaborate with all of you and other business owners um, to make changes uh, to our laws and policies to make it easier to run, um, to start, run, and grow a business. 
Last year in January, we added a commercial leasing and activation support service. So uh, through the addition of additional staff, we were able to actually provide uh, one-on-one guidance to um, entrepreneurs um, to advise them about their lease agreements or even letter of intent negotiations. Uh, Perhaps someone is either in a new or even an existing lease agreement and have questions. I need that um, that counseling. So that's actually been really, really, um, um, I think, valuable in addition to helping with the matchmaking of entrepreneurs looking for vacant spaces. Um, so we've been able to do that as well. And then lastly, um, of course, is our legacy business program. And so we support longstanding businesses in San Francisco through marketing grants and technical assistance. So on to the next slide uh, is a snapshot of our $3.7 million budget from last fiscal year, or this current fiscal year. Uh, so as you can see in terms of our breakdown, um, although our budget is only $3.7 million, we are part of, um, our budget actually sits within the Office of Economic and Workforce Development's budget, which has much more funds dedicated uh, to small business support. And we're always uh, cross-referencing each other's services. Um, and so you'll see our breakdown. Uh, we have an incredible team here, which forms most of our, um, our budget, our legacy business program, which is the next, um, uh, category of spending. And then our small business development center, the SBDC that is actually hosted by office, small business and OEWD. Um, and so that's a unique arrangement, um, In some other jurisdictions, you might see the SBDC um, hosted by maybe a Chamber of Commerce or um, a nonprofit organization. So here we are unique that it's actually hosted within our office and they actually sit with us um, in our city hall office. Um, we also receive some money from um, through business registration fees that uh, kind of go through the state and then come back to us. Um, and it's the Disability Access and Education Fund. So what we do with that is we actually run a grant program year-round where we offer up to $10,000 in reimbursement for any business that needs to uh, make accessibility improvements. So to comply with ADA or to even do an inspection to understand their ADA obligations. Um, and then, of course, um, our a small portion of our budget is formed uh, by admin costs and um, a Shop Dine SF campaign, which goes towards supporting marketing of small business um, corridors um, and ultimately small businesses themselves. All right, so uh, this slide here um, shows a breakdown of our services that we provide and who are the uh, people that we serve. Oh, sorry. Actually, if we could go back to slide six, my apologies. Okay. So this just is a snapshot of, um, how much, uh, our incredible team does. So in fiscal year 22, 23, um, our team of case managers, um, supported 4,855 cases. So, uh, that's quite a heavy uh, workload there. And, um, just to point out that in that fiscal year, we were able to add the four positions that I mentioned. Um, and, uh, that really helped us increase our, our services. So compared to the prior fiscal year, we increased our services by 18%. And then compared to pre pandemic times in fiscal year, 1819, we're able to increase our services by 25%. Um, in addition, as I mentioned, SBDC, the Small Business Development Center, is part of our team. They served uh, 1,124 unique clients, um, and you see the breakdown here in terms of um, most of them are to support existing businesses, most of the inquiries, um, and then the rest are for people who are in the kind of pre-startup and startup phase. 
All right, so um, this slide here shows the breakdown of in terms of our office small business um, services. So for the most part, uh, I would say it's 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 a, a breakdown between um, those who are um, pre-startup phase and startup phase. That would be one if you were to think about kind of one category of, of people we're helping. A lot of times people don't know what they want to do yet, but they have a business idea um, that they haven't taken any steps and they're doing research. So we we do a lot of uh, counseling on that front. But we also uh, help a significant portion of those who are existing um, and may have some sort of uh, business challenge that we're um, supporting them through. And then, of course, if we further break that down, we do have um, people who might be existing, but they want to relocate or they might want to expand or um, they're going through a business acquisition. And um, when we added the new commercial vacancy manager position last January, uh, we were able to add a couple of uh, tools for small business entrepreneurs that we're really excited about. So one of them is uh, an, a template for letter of intent um, negotiations to help business owners um, either during negotiations, but also really for educational purposes. Um, we also um, help them with uh, checklists and outline steps to help them prepare for commercial leasing process. So just understanding that. We know often it can be quite daunting. And then um, our commercial vacancy manager also participates and advises um, on site tours with, of commercial spaces with the actual business owners so that they can check out the space together. We can point out certain things and what some of the, the needs and challenges or maybe it's a, a great perfect fit, which is what we hope. So we're excited to offer those three new things. Um, this slide here just shows uh, the top five industries that we tend to get inquiries about at our office. So food services, retail trade, certain services, admin support, and private education and health services. And you can see the definition um, to the right there. But these um, top five industries have really roughly remained the same in the last uh, three fiscal years. Um, this slide here shows a breakdown of who is seeking our services um, by race, ethnicity. Um, a lot of times people are not disclosing to us um, uh, their race or ethnicity, so um, this just really accounts for the ones that we know. And then in terms of the language of service provided, um, we are only able to track um, really the language that we speak to that uh, business owner. Um, so you could see the breakdown there. Um, mostly in English, but we also do have staff who speak Spanish and Chinese in our office and are able to offer in-language support. Um, and of course, we can call Language Line, which is a, um, a provider um, in case we have other languages. Um, in terms of business locations, this shows a, a, a breakdown uh, by percentage of the total number of cases um, broken out by Board of Supervisors districts. So um, we also, as you can see here on this, uh, on this table, that um, sometimes um, people are actually calling from outside SF and they want to locate here, so that's always exciting. Um, and so these, these are just the ones that contact um, our office. And in fiscal year 22-23, this is a visual of where we've been. So as mentioned earlier during our MTA hearing, we go out um, almost every week to a corridor to try to talk to businesses one-on-one, -on -one, share our services. We often hear that people have, don't even know that office small business exists. So it's really important for us to get out there because we'd love to talk to business owners before they have a crisis situation. Um, we want to make sure that they feel supported and know who to talk to if an issue arises. 
And as for our legacy business program, um, as of January 1st, 2024, we have uh, 382 legacy businesses on our registry. So they're 30 um, years or older in San Francisco. Uh, I think as of today, it's um, 388 or so. And in fiscal year 22-23, we added 49 new legacy businesses to the registry, um, which thanks to this commission here, you all approve. And also... Last fiscal year awarded $766,000 to legacy businesses, uh, supporting um, 44 of the businesses through the Rent Stabilization Grant Program. And so as a reminder, that's where um, if a landlord uh, agrees to uh, sign um, a long-term lease, so that's 10 or more years, or five years with an option to extend for five more years, um, that they can get a grant as an incentive uh, for the small business, the legacy business to remain in place. Um, some other program improvements we wanted to sh highlight for you under the Legacy Business Program is that we eliminated successfully the application fee. Um, through uh, Prop J, it specified that we had to charge an application fee, um, but we were able to uh, get that removed. Um, so businesses no longer have to pay $50 um, for the fee. We also tried to simplify the application form to make it easier for people to apply. And next, you probably heard me talk a lot about this, but we wanted to highlight the small business permitting reforms. Um, this one is through the legislation that Mayor Breed um, sponsored as part of a roadmap to San Francisco's future, made over 100 changes to the planning code, and excited to share that uh, it took effect this month. So we are um, eager to see how much easier this makes it for small businesses to establish themselves or expand or pivot <laughs> um, in San Francisco. Yes, um, for, we hope that it helps both existing and uh, new businesses. And then more on permitting reforms. Uh, we also found that a lot of times small business owners have to spend additional time and money on requirements that don't make sense. So for example, if you are going into a space where you don't need to do any construction, um, the city has been requiring that you actually have to get a building permit with an architect and produce these professional drawings. So that takes time and money. Um, so we initiated the creation um, along with uh, the planning department on an alternative path. Um, and so we, were, we have been able to get um, more businesses through the process, um, saving them time and money. Um, again, if they uh, meet these eligibility requirements where they're not making any construction, uh, doing any construction in a space that they're locating in. Um, in terms of fees, uh, we had advocated last year for the first year free program to be extended, and this is the program where, um, sponsored by uh, Mayor Breed and Supervisor Ronan, that waives um, license and permit fees for new and expanding businesses. So um, we want to also thank our previous presenters, the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office, that helps us manage this program. And since the program started in 2021, over 5,700 businesses have enrolled, and more than 2.38 million dollars have been waived in city fees so this is super important given that as you know when you're um, starting out and you're not making you're not generating any revenue yet um, and you have to pay for all these fees to get started uh, this has been a really important program and we actually want to advocate for this program to be extended for another fiscal year as well so I'm sure we'll be coming back to you um, on that and then um, on awnings, so this was a challenging year where um, it started out with uh, 
um, almost 200 businesses getting complaints um, about having awnings without permits. And so we wanted to figure out a way to make it easier for these businesses to comply um, with the city's permitting requirements. So we developed an awning amnesty program to simplify uh, that process. So it is uh, valid until June 1st, 2024. So if you have any questions about it, you know any other business owners that um, want to take advantage of this program where the permit fees are waived, please let us know. Um, and we also worked with Supervisor Guardio to sponsor legislation so that in every May, which um, there's an existing program where the permit fees are waived for new awnings, um, sorry, existing awnings, um, if you're replacing them, that the permit fees would be waived. And we work with our office to extend that to also the installation of new awnings. So every May during Small Business Month, uh, you can also um, take advantage of a permit-free process. And, um, of course, this is um, a slide on small business survey, thanks to this commission here and, and led by uh, President Huey. Um, we did a follow-up survey of small businesses. So over um, 800 small businesses uh, participated in the survey um, in partnership with uh, San Francisco State University. And um, we have here displayed the top three challenges by sector. Um, so I think it's no surprise to you all what those are. Um, supply chain disruptions, staffing challenges, increases in cost of the goods um, being sold, lack of parking, um, and then, of course, the street conditions. So, um, again, I don't think that's a surprise to any of you um, who are business owners. And then... Uh, also, last fiscal year, uh, we awarded um, almost $200,000 to 34 small businesses to help them with accessibility improvements. So again, we want to make sure people take advantage of this year-round uh, program, and we're in, um, uh, I think, year two of that, um, or heading into year three. And then also, if I don't know if you remember this, but January started out... Um, Really splashy. Um, there were a lot of um, issues caused by the winter flood um, floods. And so we had this one-time funding from OEWD to administer the disaster relief grant specific for flooding. And so we supported 100 small businesses last year um, to the tune of $300,000. All right, and then um, our Shopdine SF campaign, uh, we took over uh, management of that campaign in 2022, turned it into Shopdine um, SF as the rebranded campaign. And so through that, there's a new website launched where we've been just populating with a lot of content there to draw more people to our small business corridors, and then also highlighting um, certain celebrations that also would draw people to a commercial corridor. So you could see a sample of that here. And then also launched um, Shopdine SF on Instagram. So we're constantly on social media also highlighting upcoming events and activities. So we encourage people to send events our way so that we can continue to promote um, all of you. And this is just a reminder of the Small Business Commission priorities that you all um, discussed and decided upon for last fiscal year. And that is it. That concludes our annual report. Happy to take any questions. That was incredible, Director Tay. <laughs> I feel like looking at this, it's like a journal almost of like the work that you and Carrie and all of us have kind of like walked the last year. So, I mean, I can definitely see how every one of these programs, like you've, you've not only touched, but like 
very much like spearheaded for small businesses in San Francisco. So thank you very much for all of your advocacy. Um, I feel like I didn't say that loud enough, right? Like you're, I, when I look at Gary, she, she's always like, can you speak louder? I really would like to thank you from the very bottom of my heart and all of the small business communities that we all serve, I'm sure, have the same level of gratitude for all of the work that you've put in. I've been asking kind of like every, every month, I'm like, when am I gonna see a map of what you do or where you've been? And that map is impressive. Terry put that together. And I, I <laughs> have to say on record, just really wanna thank every single person in the office of small business. They are incredible. They are, I think, representative of what government should be, which is always trying to help you find a solution. And if there's a problem, how can we fix it long-term, not just for your situation? So I just really wanna thank everyone at the office of small business. This is wonderful. Vice President Zunis. Sorry. Yes, thank you. That I echo all of that. Um, it's so impressive that our repertoire of services and policy has expanded um, over the years and just want to give kudos to to our our leadership for being able to delegate and manage all of those growing priorities and projects. So uh, very very amazing stuff and um yeah i think i would love to come pick up some of your ever developing um postcards that you go leave people um because you know i give my business card and i try to show them the phone number for the office but i mean it'd be good for each of us to grab a stack of those because i know they're um real stylish like the powerpoint so great job Is there, I don't have any questions, but is there um, any public comment? No. <laughs> Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Um, thank you very much, Director Tang. I know you have more coming up. <laughs> item five, Office of Small Business Budget Update. This is a discussion item reviewing budget instructions for the fiscal year 24-25. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Um, and don't worry, this will cut down my director's report. So um, wanted to share with you the budget instructions and the status um, that were issued to all of the departments um, back in December. Um, so due to a number of reasons, um, one being um, the rate of expenditure growth outpacing our general fund revenues um, in San Francisco um, and um, other um, challenges, uh, increasing healthcare costs among them, um, multi-year inflationary growth for um, contracts with community-based um, community organizations, um, and also using up fund balance that the city had um, stocked up um, to address uh, budget challenges in previous fiscal years. Um, all of these, um, and probably more, um, have led to um, a fiscal um, outlook that has been challenging for the city to manage. And so uh, back in December, all the departments in the city were instructed uh, to reduce our budgets for the upcoming two fiscal years that we're planning for. So that's fiscal year 24-25 and 25-26. Um, so all departments would need to make a 10% reduction in each year. And on top of that, also um, have a contingency um, reduction on hand to the tune of 5% as well for each fiscal year. So um, 
What that means and what that translates to for um, the Office of Small Business is that we had to identify um, over $300,000 in cuts to Office of Small Business. So not OEWD, but just Office of Small Business. Um, and for fiscal year 25-26, we had to identify about $350,000 worth of cuts. The contingency reduction amount for the fiscal year 24-25 amounts to about $150,000, and then the next fiscal year would be about almost $180,000. So um, you saw on our previous agenda item that we have a quite a lean um, budget, and it's mostly our staff because we provide direct services. So where we were able to make the cuts, I think I mentioned in our last um, commission meeting, but really the only place that we can make the cut is um, to the legacy business program. Um, and so, uh, however, despite uh, the reduction to the legacy business program, uh, it will not result in, in any staff um, reductions. Um, so that's good. Also, uh, because there were some years where there were unspent funds, um, we were able to carry those forward. And so the impact to the program, at least in this next fiscal year, uh, should be either minimal or uh, pretty insignificant. Now, in the future years, if there are more cuts, um, probably can't say the same. Um, but as a reminder, we also had to make mid-year reductions this year. Um, so we already cut the legacy business program. And um, last going into this fiscal year for fiscal year 22-23, we also had to make reductions to the legacy business program. So um, that's, that's the state that we are in um, at this moment. Um, and in addition to the committee hearing, um, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development is also hosting a series of three budget town halls uh, virtually. So they're starting this week. There's two this week, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, um, and then a final uh, meeting as well in terms of outreach. And, um, and again, that is where the bulk of the funding is for any kind of grant programs and assistance to um, small businesses, whereas our office is um, direct service and staffing mostly. So, um, so that's, um, that's a quick high-level summary of the budget outlook and what we've been instructed to do. Um, and we'll, I would say probably around maybe May or June, we'll come back for another update um, with, our, um, with OEWD CFO, and we'll talk about what we're proposing as part of OEWD's budget um, to the Board of Supervisors at that time. Thank you very much. Um, one question is the legacy business program. Do we understand um, what the greatest needs are of, of our legacy businesses? I think um, some of them are actually really similar to ex just existing businesses in general, which is the decline in, um, you know, customers, foot traffic. Um, some of them may also need to adapt to, say, maybe having more of an online presence because so many people are doing things online these days. So I wouldn't say that it's dissimilar from a lot of the non-legacy businesses as well. But um, some of them may have had, um, you know, maybe a good uh, lease arrangement for a period of time, and then now things are changing, um, and it's hard for them to to adapt to that as well. So, yeah, it's it's varied for every business, of course, but I would say that it's um, what we hear by and large is decline in sales. Because mm -hmm. I feel like we would we could, you know, given that this is this is kind of what's happening with the budget. I mean, maybe there's a way that we can kind of creatively be able to meet their greatest needs by providing, I don't know, other resources that maybe are outside of the city. Um, 
or you know pointing in different directions where um, where we can just kind of help with with some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and um, as I mentioned, the Small Business Development Center being hosted by us, um, we often do pair legacy business owners with. Uh, with a personalized advisor, so or sorry, I should say um, a specialized advisor who can help them with maybe marketing and communications or maybe just looking at accounting um, and looking at their, their books and seeing where is it that they can um, adjust. Um, and so that is probably has been, um, I'd say, one of the more valuable resources that we can offer to legacy business owners. Because this really is taking just from the grant program, right? Like the budget cut. Yes. So, I mean, staffing-wise and all these other resource-wise that are quite generative in nature, right, like can still continue and we can maybe just be a little bit more creative. That's right. Yes. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, Any questions from commissioners? No? Seeing no questions from commissioners, public comment? No comments from the public. Public um, comment. Oh, actually. I was just going to ask when you present this to the board. Uh, so uh, all the departments will have budget hearings um, at the Board of Supervisors Budget Committee in June, I believe. Yes, June. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, do you need anything from us, Director Tang? Um, at this moment, um, I think we're not sure what some of those other cuts will be at OEWD. So I think, um, yeah, we're happy to share once, uh, once more at, uh, before they go to the budget committee. Okay, great. Well, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item seven, general public comment. This is a discussion item. There is no public comment. No public comment. I'd also like to just thank any public commenters <laughs> for their public comment and their. <laughs> um, so, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Next item. Item eight, director's report. This is a discussion item. All right. I will keep this super short now since you heard a lot already. Um, so, in terms of legislative updates, um, Uh, I think I spoke with you earlier about the small business permitting legislation that took effect January 13th, so really excited about that. Also wanted to point out a file that's currently pending in Land Use Committee, um, that's file 231165, that has to do with um, lithium-ion batteries and powered mobility devices, and we had heard some concerns about impacts to uh, businesses that sell um, e-bicycles and scooters, um, and what some of those... um, challenges might be around limitations on on um, battery charging but we also do understand the public safety or the really the safety concerns um, and some of the fires that have broken out in um, businesses and residential units as a result of charging so just flagging that that's um, still pending in land use committee not vehicles um, e um, like powered mobility devices excluding wheelchairs though but um, again e-bicycles and scooters are probably the main the main ones and then on behalf of Rick from our legacy business program just sharing with you inviting you to the heritage happy hours coming up the next one is February 8th at the Irish Bank um, March 14th that's at Doc's clock in the mission and April 11th at the plow and stars um, on Clement Street, and if you, uh, I think we will always send out to you an email invitation. So just um, mark your calendars, <laughs> and that's it. Thank you.
Great, thank you. Now we'll open it up for public comment. Is there anyone? Okay, seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Next item, please. I, uh, jet lag is catching up to me and I skipped item six, approval of draft meeting minutes. <laughs> <laughs> A discussion and action item. So let's take that before we move on to item nine. Okay. Commissioners, any comments on the minutes? No comments? We'll open it up for public comment. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. Uh, commission motion and roll call. Oh, if somebody would like to make a motion to approve the draft meeting minutes. I'll make a motion. To approve the minutes. If we could get a second. Second that. Motion by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Benitez. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Benitez. Motion to approve. Motion to approve. So the motion is to approve, so you can say aye. Aye. Still getting new here. <laughs> no problem. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Herbert's absent. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena is absent. And Vice President Zazunas? Yes. Motion passes. Item 9 Commissioner discussion and new business. This is a discussion item. Commissioners, any reports proposing new business items? Vice President Zazunas? Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to um, look at our minutes from our last meeting because I remember there was something important on there. So the the business tax reform folks, if I know we had a lot of uh, follow-ups for them. So just let us know if you need help, um, Director and, and Carrie, like specifying whatever updates we wanted because I know they hadn't um, had a concrete list of the reforms at that point. So... Just wanted to put that back on our radar. Um, I'd like to add um, as an idea for um, next meetings to have the Office of Financial Empowerment, I believe, um, here, as well as I think for us to give some thought around like what other, you know, benefits and and um, opportunities we can kind of. Uh, share with with our teams um, the other thing I wanted to point out is that Lunar New Year is coming up and um, I can't believe that we're already in a new year right now <laughs> um, but Lunar New Year fe festivities are going to they're already kind of in motion and the next few weekends we'll have like a flower market in Chinatown we'll also have um, the parade um, after the Lunar New Year. And so please come out. It may rain. I have no control over that. <laughs> but I have done the parade in the rain before, and it was actually really fun. So we, um, I invite you all to come out to Chinatown. I'll be there. <laughs> and I opened a new shop in Chinatown. It's called On Waverly. It's on the corner of Washington and Waverly. It's a AAPI-centered um, gift shop, book shop, space, whatever it is. And I've been meeting all sorts of new people coming through. It's been really fun. So I'm generally always there. I don't really want to say this on record that I'm generally always there because, <laughs> but, 
but I invite you guys all to come out and um, check out all the new the new businesses that um, have come up, as well as some of like everyone's favorites. I know everyone comes in with a favorite restaurant that they they're like, oh my god, I get to go here now. So um, yeah, come out to Chinatown. Cool. Any other commissioners, new agenda items? Nope. Okay. Well, seeing no, um, oh, public, public comment on our? None. None. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. And next item, please. Item 10, adjournment, SFGovTV. Please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is an official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. If you need assistance with any small business matter, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Uh, meeting adjourned. <laughs>